This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 575. And the quote of the day is, every day you reinvent yourself. You're always in motion, but you decide every day, forward or backward. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming. And beyond, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 575. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for tuning in. And man, I got a great conversation today with Alan O'Quinn from the Disco Biscuits. And this is a great interview for me because the Disco Biscuits are from Philadelphia. I'm from Philadelphia or outside of Philadelphia is where I'm from, but I call Philly home. And the Disco Biscuits are about five years ahead of where my band was when we were coming up in Philly. So when we were playing at the 300C Club, they were playing at the 500. When we were at 500, they were at 750. And it kind of went like that. And then they just skyrocketed into the stratosphere. And unfortunately, we did not. But the 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 uh, the point of that is is that it's cool to now have a conversation with someone who's in the band and Alan wasn't in the band in in the initial stages but he's been with the band for a long time so we talk about one replacing another drummer and then two he's not replacing a pop drummer he's replacing a very improvisational style drummer and the band is an improvisational band so how did he deal with those things and there's a lot of misnomer out there about learning too much and when i say that like going to going to a music school or learning all of your rudiments or doing marching band thinking that somehow that's going to put you in like this creative box and it's going to limit you creatively which is totally false and alan is a great example of that where he did all that stuff he taught he was in marching band he taught marching band he went to berkeley all of those things very well schooled but is improvisational is loose it thinks on the fly plays with feel plays with passion and isn't sounding like clockwork when he's playing the same thing with the last episode with jake reed jake reed is the same way very very well studied but plays very loose and fluid. And I think that's important to remember when you're working with a teacher or thinking about going to college or anything like that. So I'm going to get off my soapbox. I'm going to stop chatting and I'm going to get into it. Let's do it with Alan Oakland. Alan, what's happening, man? Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks to you and your listeners for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, You know, I should, I guess I should start. We were just talking off air about about being from Philadelphia and one I'm from Philadelphia too. I'm a huge Phillies fan and uh-huh. you guys just did this amazing concert at citizens yeah. bank park, yeah. uh, that, that raised money for, for black lives matter. And, and but w- it wasn't black lives matter. The, the, what was the name of the, of the plus one, plus one. that's right. Yeah. Um, which, so I watched the video and, uh, or I watched the concert, I should say. And it was just like, it was amazing to see one, like I said, I'm a Phillies fan and and, and uh, have been to that stadium, you know, a million times. But also knowing the Biscuits, I grew up with the Biscuits, like I was telling you before. There, you know, the band is, was always like five years ahead of of what my band was doing at the time. Um, but talk about that experience, man. It seemed like uh, it was it was really whether you're a Phillies fan or not, right? It had to be a pretty cool experience. Yeah, definitely. I'm a Phillies fan for life now. You know, nice. Uh, <laughs> um, it was just an, an amazing experience just uh, all across the board. You know, we, the, the band hadn't played 
since uh, March, and we we didn't really play. We were in the studio in March, but we we didn't get to play our shows. You know, that was right when everything happened and the show got canceled. We were set up for sound check, and then you know, no show. So oh, it got your show actually got canceled. Like you were there, ready to go. Yep, we were in the Fillmore, and we were going to uh, do three nights, and then boom, it got canceled. You know, uh, right, right as Soundcheck was basically supposed to start. That's got to uh, be a heartbreaker. Yeah, big heartbreaker. So you know, it felt good to like get together and see everybody and play some show, play play some music together. You know, I've been playing um, like some live streams and stuff, but that's with mm -hmm. like my computer. You know, not with like a human. And I've been playing um, on a on like a e kit, not really like a real drum kit. You know, so. It felt great to play on, you know, my drums and with the guys and make music. And I know the fans had, you know, been missing us and we'd been missing them. So that felt great. We, we played a great show, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. with live music and improv, improv, it's like you take risk and sometimes you, you kind of fall down. But that show was seemed like a home run. We all felt good about it. Our fans felt great about it. We got to play in the Philly stadium and then we raised money for a great cause. It was just an overwhelming experience of positivity. It just kept giving and giving and giving. So yeah, that, that was uh, one of my most favorite experiences yet uh, as a, as a musician. So, and to paint the picture and I'll put the, I'll put a link to the YouTube video in the show notes, but to paint the picture, the band is at second base in a circle playing. There's no one in the stands. Right. Yeah, There's like a couple right. people in it and they and like they announce the band. So you guys come like the the Phillies announcer right, announces yeah. you. You guys run out onto the field, uh, uh -huh. get behind your instruments and 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 there's no one in the stand no but, there's and some there's family like, members but no some family members there yeah, you go and, and like there's for the stadium, but no right and like drone footage and i mean it was just like it was totally badass yeah, but it was but awesome. at the but at the same time like especially in improvisational music you feed off the fans you feed off the right. energy yep. of the fans was it yep. was it tough to like to get into the into the groove and into the moment it actually wasn't. I would thought it, you know, I was wondering how it was going to be, but it was almost as if you could feel the fans just because it had been so long since we played and every, you know, our, we needed it. Our fans needed it. It just felt like you could just let go and let it happen. And it was going to, you know, get out of the way and it was going to be a success. It, uh, I was worried about playing to, to an empty stadium and no one, right. you know, but uh, no, it just, there's something that, it just it just it just worked and it went really really well um we played one of our best shows and yeah it was just a success all, success all across the board we raised seventy five thousand dollars it's amazing for, yeah so you know it was just awesome that's great yeah we all know what it's like to play in an empty room for sound check or maybe yeah. when your band's first starting out there's not a lot of people there but like playing a whole show in an empty stadium has got to be right. a surreal experience so i'm glad that I'm glad that it was cool. It worked out. The show was it, great. You guys raised seventy five thousand dollars. It's amazing. Yeah, it was awkward, you know, when we stopped playing. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, and we were like, Okay, keep going, keep going, keep going. You did know? did no one yep. did no one like the song? Did no uh, one like it, right. did they? Why is no one clapping? <laughs> <laughs> so that part was awkward, but when the music was happening, it was it was amazing. That's awesome. So were you guys only listening in monitors or was it piped throughout the stadium too? Uh it was just the monitors. Got you. Yep. Yeah, I was wondering. I was wondering that. Yeah. Uh, it's it's such a cool. Maybe one of these days. That's a bucket list for. I didn't even know it was a bucket list thing. Uh -huh. well, I, watched, I I watched the video. Now it's a bucket list thing. I 
they had done something like that here in Denver. Um, they did a, uh, I think it was music, musicrelief.org did a, uh, like a, a show uh, on television and they had some bands play at the Bronco Stadium. And, you know, it was empty and it's just the band out there in the middle of the field. And I was like, mm. man, it's so weird, but it's so awesome, you know, like, ah, that must be so cool to play the stadium and play for this cause, you know, and then a couple months later, we got a phone call and it was just like, what is this really happening? Are you serious? How did that, I was going to ask you how that came about. Was it, did the band like seek that out or? I don't, I think it just actually, uh, our guitar player, John was, he had a, uh, a baby in February, uh, and he was, he, he he and his family were had planned to travel east. He lives in L.A. as well. And I honestly think that the word got out that he was traveling east and it just kind of, you know, the majority of us were going to be in the same spot all at once. And it, I got a phone call. Hey, would you want to do this? And I, you know, was like, uh, well, traveling during coronavirus is definitely sketchy, but uh, this is a opportunity not to be missed and, and for a cause that we could help so right. let's do it you know so yeah i think it just came from uh, rick uh, john was traveling out east and one thing led to another and then all of a sudden we were playing the philly stadium so i like it i like it so i want to rewind the tape a little bit and to where before you were in disco biscuit so you grew up in colorado uh, well actually not i moved to colorado in 2013 uh, uh-huh. my dad was in in the military. So I kind of lived all, uh, all over the Southeast and then a few years in Germany. But when I was in high school, my dad retired in Columbus, Georgia. So that was kind of home for a little bit. And then I lived in Alabama when I met my wife. And then uh, we lived in Philly for, for a few years. And then uh, we moved here in 2013. So gotcha. Quick, quick little okay. recap. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but during that time, we'll talk. Well, let me let me ask you about that, about bouncing around with the military how did that how did that affect you in terms of a player the music you were you were exposed to if you're living in different countries you're getting different cultures all of that uh-huh. sort of stuff did that play into to your music vocabulary and and sort of your your appreciation for different styles of music it actually didn't um i didn't i started playing uh actually clarinet when i was uh, um what was that i guess 9 years old i didn't start playing drums until um, junior high school. And at that okay. point we had pretty much, he was, we were, me and my dad was at stationed at Fort Benning, Georgia, which is basically, you know, right outside Columbus. So, um, I didn't, we had stopped pretty much moving around by the time I picked up the drums. And so I didn't really pick up too, too much musical styles from bouncing around and stuff like that, you know? So, but it that actually kind of, kind of got me accustomed to like for touring later on in life, you know, uh, kind of, sure always bouncing around and not really staying in one place too long so gotcha so when you started playing drums were were you like this is it like that just fell in love from the totally the beginning? totally yeah. yeah i the first band at, at the school i was in uh it was just clarinet flute and uh, trumpet so there was you know no other instruments so i thought i wanted to play saxophone so i started off on clarinet and then um we moved to another school um and it before we'd move, I'd gotten a saxophone, tried to play it, sounded like a, a duck that was in pain, basically. Um, I joined the, <laughs> the, the band in, in, when we moved to Fort Benning, and that band was a complete 
like orchestra and there was a drum section back there and when i heard that for the first time i turned around and was like whoa that's what i want to do and you know <laughs> right. my band director was cool enough that you know even though it was like the middle of the school year and i was the new guy she let me switch to the drums um and at that point all the cool drums had been taken and i had to play bells and mm -hmm. chimes uh and, and uh, but that's okay because had i not started there i probably wouldn't have like made my way over there because pretty much once i found you know snare and tenors in marching band and, and drum set that was like the uh the end all be all for me right so. you're like no 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 I, I said i wanted to play drums not bell right yeah well basically. how did this happen <laughs> but then i got to play timpani as well so nice. that was cool nice and typically i played uh i played timpani for a while in college and it's such a different animal than people think. I mean, it's like played totally different than than people think they're just big drums and you just hit them uh, the same way. And they're it's totally different. Yeah, totally different. Technique strokes, is different. Everything. Different technique. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. Different grip. Yep. Yep. Uh, and I remember, I don't remember who I was talking to, but they said that you know when they were, I never, I was never in in the school band or anything like that until I got to college, but. Uh, but I know that in middle school and high school, it was like everyone wanted to play drums. So, <laughs> so their teachers had to push them some one way or another. And it might be like, listen, you can play piano because there's 19 drummers, or uh -huh. you know, whatever the case may be. And but you're like, no, I'll play the bells, and I will, I will bide my time until I can get to the. Uh -huh. Definitely. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's a way to do it. Um, so. Were you thinking? Were you thinking of it as a career though, or were you just uh, like, I just love this so much? It's hard to yeah, think of that when you're in junior right. high, though, right? Yeah, no, not a career. I, it was just something I loved doing and had fun doing, and the guys that played drums were cool, you know, to be around. And so, it it, it I didn't really think of it as a career um, um, until see, I, I played like bells and, and bet chimes and timpani for a little bit. And then I started playing snare. And then when I got to high school, my band director forced me to take drum lessons, which not, he didn't like force me, but it was like a requirement, which was a, you know, I, I hadn't studied privately yet. So once I started doing that, it, it opened up a whole new world of luckily in, in Columbus, there was a couple teachers that were just, I don't know why they were in Columbus and not anywhere else, you know, playing music for everyone else to see. Uh, my first teacher was Mark Parker. And uh, I mean, if you close your eyes, you would think he was one of the greats, you know, I mean, he just is phenomenal player. Right. And I was fortunate to be with him. And he made me learn the rudiments, you know, he would, he wouldn't really let me play drum, learn drum kit until I had a good foundation of snare uh, in my hands. And then once mm -hmm. I got got the rudiments under my belt, he started showing me drum set. And then I uh, and then I started, te he uh, got busy and I started learning with uh, one of his prodigies named John David, who, all, you know, he had, these guys were coming from the school of like, you know, uh, Steve Gadd, Dennis Chambers, Vinnie Caluda, Dave Weckl, uh, Elvin Jones, Tony Williams, uh, Buddy Rich, Willie Belson. Um, 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 one of the names are escaping me. They liked, uh, um, it was an Afro-Cuban dude. Um, but, you know, so basically I had a, a good, I was fortunate to have a, a good foundation of like, kind of like jazz influence from the very beginning. So, mm -hmm. um, and then that kind of, and then also, are you familiar with DeAnthony Parks? Uh, no. Uh, he's another, like, basically alien. 
uh, <laughs> drummer. Um, you should look him up. He, he's amazing. He's from uh, LaGrange, Georgia, and we were the same age. So when I would do like Allstate and stuff, I would see DeAnthony there, and he was like a phenom. He was the guy that was basically teaching the teachers. You know, even when uh, I, uh, I wound up going to Berkeley, and he was at Berkeley at the same time, and, and that was basically happening at Berkeley. He was basically teaching teachers. But um, I was fortunate enough to become friends with him and hang out with him. And, um, we would, we lived on the same floor at Berkeley and we would, I would practice and he would come over to my practice room and he would like listen to me. And then he, I'd get up and he'd play and then he would just completely annihilate my drum kit. (laughs) And then he'd get up and keep time on the ride cymbal. And then I'd come in and pick up the time on the ride cymbal. And then, you know, we'd rotate like that and hanging around someone like the Anthony, uh, it was, I, you know, I wouldn't be the drummer I was today if I had not, right. didn't have, didn't ever know DeAnthony. So that in, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I studied for a couple of years at Berkeley um, and I was fortunate enough to take lessons from Jamie Haddad. Nice. So, yeah. There, I, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of pushback sometimes with whether it be taking lessons or learning, you know, learning the foundational things like the rudiments and all that sort of stuff or or setting yourself up for uh, for comparison or competition with with other people uh-huh. because because of an ego thing and yeah. worried about about looking bad. But but can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think it's so important when you're around people who are better than you, who push you, who mm-hmm. make you feel like you need to get better in a good way, not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it seems like you got a lot of that as well. Yeah. Um, it's just good to surround yourself. You know, that was kind of like the thing about being at Berkeley. If you ever got like complacent or bored or, you know, hit a plateau, you could just walk down the, the practice, the aisle of practice rooms and you could see just so many extraordinary players in, in so many different styles that you could just find influence from something like, well, I want to be great like that, you know, so mm-hmm. I, I need to go practice more, you know, it just, uh, it elevated your thinking surrounding being with, and and I wasn't doing that intentionally. And Hey, I just was fortunate enough that the people that I happened to meet, you know, I was able to, hate, you know, they were way above me and I was able to hang out with them and kind of, it's kind of like you, you, like, I think you were kind of saying, it's like, if you you surround yourself with with greater who people who are greater players than you, then you're going to bring your level of playing up. Your vocabulary is going to get greater because you're hanging out with those people. Right. You're learning from those people. You're picking up on maybe uh, it's not that you're like trying to copy them, but you're you're picking up on things that that are working for them, and you're able to apply that to work for you. You know, and mm-hmm. you can see how their hard work and dedication paid off, or just their sheer like amazing talent you know and how you maybe in the beginning you try to emulate that because it was so impressive but eventually it becomes something that that if you do it long enough it's yours you know sure sure i want to talk a little bit about how you develop your improvisational muscle and because now you know if if we're if we were looking 30 40 years ago maybe even more uh, everyone was playing jazz and mm-hmm. jazz is largely, I'm sure you have to understand the structure of the song, but then after that, it's largely improvisational. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I think there's a lot, I don't want to say there's a lot less of that, but there's less of that now. And there's more to me, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. To me, it seems like things are, are 
boxed in a little bit more. But for you, you play in an improvisational band. And is, is that a muscle that you were developing in Berkeley and with your other bands? And if so, how? How were you doing that? Yes. Um, you know, it was coming from a jazz dad point um, that, you know, you could you could pick up a jazz album and there could be a, a song on there that was like 20 minutes where maybe the only the head of the song was two and a half, three minutes of the actual song. But the rest of the 17 minutes was was them soloing and jamming and improving back and forth. So that was something I, I always wanted to, like, recreate. Um, and all the guys that, you know, I played in bands with, that was kind of like what we we wanted to recreate and then um uh at berkeley uh i played with a lot of guys that were into jazz and funk and then i met some dudes that were into fish and uh that kind of you know that's an extended improv improvisational jam band so uh that kind of being influenced by that that kind of just everybody coming from that standpoint you know we want to try to make this awesome epic jam and have layers to it and hills and valleys you know um mm -hmm. that was always the goal so and i also think that uh i played in marching band when i was in and then i i taught it for like 10 years after i graduated but when i was in high school and i think being holding having drums on your body and playing them for eight hours a day in the sun every single day gives you the endurance to be able to like you know uh, you know, jam for 50 minutes or whatever right. without stopping, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, there, I was reading about how, and I never knew this. I was reading about how you got the gig for the <laughs> disco biscuits. Uh, but there's a, there's some lead up to that, right? Cause you were playing in bands and, and I, if correct me if I'm wrong, but you were playing on bills with the biscuits before that, or yeah, you knew those correct. guys. Uh, I didn't actually know uh, the band. I knew of the band, but I didn't know the guys in the band. I didn't, uh, I didn't know John Marker, Aaron, or Sammy. But we had, we had Sky. I had a band called Sky Dog Gypsy that was just primarily, uh, you know, uh, southeast type of band. We got to Colorado once, and uh, we didn't get too much farther north than uh, I think like Bristol, Tennessee, mm -hmm. or something. But uh, so you know, uh, but you know, we played, you know. Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, and did pretty well there, uh, Tennessee. But um, we opened up for the Disco Biscuits in Atlanta and in Athens. Um, and actually, Magner uh, sat in on keys in, at the Georgia Theater when we opened up for him. So that was oh, cool. cool. Yeah. Um, and our light guy, that band had started to kind of like have issues and you know do the band thing and right. have you know had hey kind of started to fizzle out and guys were thinking going different ways we were still playing but you know things weren't clicking like they were and at that time at that same time the disco biscuits needed a light guy our our light guy johnny good was a humongous disco biscuits fan um and he knew the guys and knew the organization and as we were fizzling out he had he had picked up that gig and then i, I guess i don't really know the time frame but Within like a year, around a year later, uh, the monitor guy left or went, something happened, and Pat, our sound guy from Skydog, wound up doing monitors for the Disco Biscuits. Um, and then they were on the road with the Disco Biscuits for three years in the, or so, two or three years, and I was still like hanging out, uh, playing in different bands in the South and teaching drum lessons and drum lines and stuff like that. Um, and then I got a phone call from there. I guess it was their tour manager asking if I'd be interested in 
auditioning. I was like, well, yeah, of course, definitely. Send right. me the songs. Let's go. <laughs> so, but uh, it was like it was a cattle call though, right? They had like this big. They they turned oh, it into like took, they turned it into an event. Yes, it was an event. It, it, they called me in May. Um, I was actually practicing. I didn't answer the phone, and then you know I got done practicing, listened to the message, and was like, holy shit, yeah, let me call this guy back. Uh, <laughs> and he, Dan, his name was Dan Berkowitz. He gave me this, a list of songs to learn, and then they flew me up. It was early May and it was in the, their studio and we clicked. I felt like we clicked immediately. Uh, me and Brownstein, the bass player, uh, uh, we immediately had a, a connection and that's, you know, very important. Um, and then I felt like our jams went places and we were able to start and finish each other's musical sentences. It felt great, you know. Um, and then, you know, they were like, yeah, talk to you soon. And then I went home and I didn't hear anything for our... Uh, I didn't hear anything until like September. So I thought I blew it, you know, I thought they that's gotta be really, nerve wracking. Yeah. I thought they were just being really nice. So I was like, yeah, very nerve wracking, you know? So I, I didn't, I stopped practicing disco music music because I thought it was over. And then I got a phone call in September and they were like, okay, so you made it to the second round of auditions. Here's 10 more songs to learn. And I was like, well, damn, I would have kept practicing and, and been ready. But uh, it, it, it was what it was. And so I went up. The second one went just as good as the first one. Um, but the, And the, the same thing happened, but I was ready this time for it. They didn't call me again until November. and uh, But I kept practicing <laughs> all the music they'd given me. And then they told me in November they were going to fly me and like nine other drummers, eight other drummers up to the Borgata in Atlantic City. And we, they were going to have a drum off over two nights, and we each were going to play, you know, we were going to play three or four songs a piece, and then, you know, they'd uh, let the fans see how what the fans thought, and then they'd basically be in touch. And I was fortunate uh, to where I played the second night, so I flew up, you know, early and heard the competition on the first night, got an idea of, you know, what I needed to you know take care of and then mm -hmm. actually are you familiar with mike greenfield from lotus yeah, yeah 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 he was playing just before i i was playing um on the second night and he was completely killing it just ripping it up and i was like oh my gosh who is this guy i heard him before <laughs> i knew who he was but you know i was just like oh man i gotta play after that guy right and um you know so was that before or after he was in lotus that was before, a couple before of years Lotus. before he was in Lotus. Yep, he, he had played with the guys in, I think, maybe at that point he was already, because Joe Russo was an electron for a little bit. But then I, I believe Mike became the drummer. Um, and he, you know, he had his own bands. Um, and, you know, Mike's an awesome player. There's tons of stuff that he's been involved with and done. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he was just killing it. And I was, he was just making me nervous and, you know, making me paranoid and anxious. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. You know, and Dan had to be like, dude, calm down, you know, like, you know, he's a friend of the band. He knows the music. Just get out there and do do what you do. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I went out there and Mike made basically made me turn it up, uh, you know, and uh, I felt like I, I crushed it. And I did. I gotten familiar with some things that the, that the, the biscuits like to do, you know, and what the fans kind of responded to. And, and like they like to like do, do drops and do big big you know hits and and, and let the music kind of vibe in a, in a drop and then come back in and, and to, you know I, I picked up that when those things happened and in the in the show they were special moments so I wanted to hopefully recreate that and I found places where that worked and it worked and 
yeah um you know nice. I, had mike not been there i may not have played as <laughs> and, and, you know as, as as hard as i because he had he'd really turned it up so i knew i had to bring it if i if i was gonna have a chance at this so um and i felt really good and i remember seeing the guys in the borgata later and i saw uh brownstein and i was like so what do you think man i think i think it went really well and the fans are you know they they seem to have a favorite you know and he was so poker faced and was just like i don't know i have to, we'll call you we'll let you know and so about a month later you know in december they called and said uh uh, it's between you and this other guy, and we're going to bring you up for both of you guys up for a week, and we're going to spend a week with you, each of you, you know, separately in the studio and, and see about vibes and, and, you know, what that experience is all about. So they flew me up, and I hung out with them for a week in Philly. They had a really nice studio, uh, which eventually came mine, became mine. But uh, at that point, it wasn't. It was it was an uh, awesome studio, uh, uh, 444 there. Um, I think... Uh, I don't remember what the studio was called before us, but uh, they've recorded so much there. Uh, Kirby Hancock have recorded there. Modesky Martin and Wood. Nice. Still, so many different things have been recorded there. So it was a cool experience. And then, you know, I guess I came home, and two weeks later, finally I got a phone call from John, and uh, he, he extended an invitation to join his band. And then I had a, like a week and a half uh, counting Christmas to learn. Uh, it was like 44 songs or something like that for... Uh, for the New Year's show, we had Jeez. four shows. We did two shows at the Tower Theater and then two shows at the Hammerstein uh, in New York City. So, and I was playing music in, in bands and stuff, but I was not playing on that level. So right. when, I, when I walked into the Tower Theater, I, my jaw dropped and I was like, oh, <laughs> wow, you know. And then uh, we sound checked and actually, as prepared as I was during sound check, I... I just couldn't play anything. It was like I forgot everything because all I could think about was how big the room is and all these eyeballs that were going to be staring at me. And oh my gosh, you know. So we actually had to rewrite our, our set list. We just went in. <laughs> oh, really? Were they? Yeah. I wonder if they're thinking, oh my God, we made a mistake. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to say they weren't, but uh, <laughs> at that, there was definitely like an oh shit uh, uh, moment there <laughs> in, the very, in the very beginning. But I reeled it in and got it together. Actually, those shows, maybe not the very first one, but uh, I do remember uh, the Hammerstein ballroom shows being awesome. And so, <laughs> um, you rehearsed before before uh, you rehearsed before the shows, though, right? Yeah, I came oh. up for a few days. I don't remember exactly how long. It wasn't too much because I didn't. I had to learn the music by my, you know, I learned it on my own. And then and had then to go do actually, it. Actually, yeah. the the other like twist to the story is I got married the day before I left to go play. So. I, I had to like fly up to Philly to rehearse, then fly back down to uh, Georgia, and I got married, and then we flew back up and played the uh, the New Year's show. So there was wow. not a lot of, not a lot of time to play with. Yeah, so huh. it was uh, definitely like you know put on your seatbelt and get ready to go type of yeah. thing. And there's a couple of things that you need to learn there too. One, you need to learn all the tunes. That's hard. Yes. They have yes. you know how many tunes they have, but oh. then. Then you and and um you know this happens over time, but you have to learn how each one of them improvises and yeah for sure and it's like it's like it's almost like getting it. I mean this is a this is a stupid analogy, but it's like it's oh it's like trying to replace like your girlfriend or or wife or whatever right but and having like all the same intricacies that you had with your yeah. wife with this new person. It's like how is that totally. even possible? 
Because mm-hmm. I wanted, you know, I, I wanted to play my own drums, but this is music that they're that Sammy had played that they wrote together for ten or so years. So I had to honor his playing as well, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I had to, you know, like I couldn't just come in and re- change everything and make it completely different. So it was definitely that analogy definitely kind of fits because as much of a new guy I was, I still had to fill the old guy's shoes and do everything the old guy was doing. And, and you know, in, in the Disco Biscuit music, it's um, sometimes you start the middle with the middle of a song in order to get to the end of the, to the beginning of the song in order to play the end of the song. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a lot of like tempo shifts and, and, and fluctuations. So um, just because the song starts at like 1.30 doesn't mean that the ending, you know, the ending, for example, above the waves probably starts closer to like maybe 140, but it, by the end of it, you know, or the middle of it, we're playing closer to like 180, 200 beats per minute, and then back mm-hmm. back at the end, at the end of it, we're back to to starting tempo again. So there's a lot of like little nuances and things that I had to. It wasn't just like learning a like a like a a song off the radio and and then re-performing it, you know, recreating it. It was like um, you know, I had to learn all these tempo shifts and I knew that there was going to be that that wasn't even really. That was like half of it. The other half, it was we had we were going to have to like along with the composition, we, we, we were going to have to jam and mm-hmm. create a, you know, uh, a show for the for the audience, not just play the compositions. So, yeah. And it's a different skill set, you know, if you're going in and replacing the drummer from, I don't know, Justin Timberlake. Right. It's a like it's a. That's a hard thing to do too. Everything has to be perfect and pristine yeah, and the same right. everywhere. And not that one's harder than the other, but they're totally different skill sets totally of learning different. learning a tune and understanding how to how to improvise and 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 still make it sound good, not step on anyone's toes, right. not make it weird for mm-hmm. you know, not make it make it weird for the fans. I mean, I'll be the first one to say it like with Dave Matthews band, I do, I don't think they sound like the same band anymore. Like uh. they just they just don't. I mean, there, there's, there's only, I think there's Dave Matthews and Carter Beaufort and Stefan Lassard are the are still in the band, and then there's uh-huh. like four new guys. I was gonna say, did Carter? Did he leave? Oh no, yeah. No, Carter didn't leave. Band again. Okay. Right. <laughs> but like, uh, Leroy Moore was the saxophone player. Uh-huh. He not, he passed away. Yeah. Uh, Boyd Tinsley Boyd left. left the band. Uh-huh. So. You know, and then they got Jeff Coffin, I believe his name is, playing uh-huh. sax. And now they have a keyboard player and they have uh, Tim Reynolds playing guitar. And it's just like, a, I'm not saying it's worse or better. I'm just saying it's, a it's different, different. They just don't sound the same. They don't sound yeah. like the same band that they used to. And that can go one of two ways. Right, right. Yes. You know? And that, I, I, that definitely happened in the Disco Biscuits when I joined. You know, as much as I tried to, like, honor Sammy's playing and, and, and stay true to what they had created the last 10 years. Um, you know, there were some fans that felt that it wasn't, wasn't the same. And for them, maybe not for the better. <laughs> really? So, yeah. I mean, not, not, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're still playing and doing great. So, you know, there's yeah. people that love us, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if everybody agreed <laughs> with the uh, decision, but it is what it is. So. I'm sure you won the fans over. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
one line in the dream symbol family that I think is really cool is the dark matter family. They have the flat earth, the moon ride, and the dark matter energy. And although they're all made a little bit differently, they all involve the dark matter process. And this is really cool. Check this out. They take a symbol that is already finished and then put it back in the oven, hand hammer it, and then shock it with cold water, and then put it back in the oven. And what happens is the ash and the soot from the oven are fused to the top layer of the metal, which give it this really, really unique sound. And you know what? I want to let you hear exactly what this process does to a symbol. Check them out. To learn more about Dream Symbols, their Dark Matter line, and all their great products, be sure to check out DreamSymbols.com. I've been checking out the new Sonar SQ-1 kits, and they are sick. You know who else thinks they're sick? Chris Coleman. I'll let him take it from here. When I hear something inside of me, I have to get it out. I have to get the sound that's within me out. Whatever I'm feeling in the moment, I go for it. And I may create something fresh and new for me. Something I may change about it, something I may not. I'm just going with the flow. Sonar's done it. SQ1, my Sonar drummers. Check them out. You'll dig them. I remember having a conversation with, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Craig, um, Blundell. Gru- Gruen or? Uh, Craig, Brun- Cl- Craig oh. Blundell. And okay. he, uh, he joined King Crimson and, oh, okay. and I forget who he replaced, but that's not the point of the story. But he said that like the fans were pretty rough on him for a while. And he's like, now they love me and everything's great. Uh, and he was like, but there was a while where it was, it was pretty rough. He was like, I was like yeah. calling my wife and was like, I don't know if I should, I like, I don't know if I can take this uh-huh. because of how, how brutal they were being. How was it for you? Was it, was it that bad or was it just like, just a little, a little here and a little there? It was, you know, it was a little here and a little there. There, there was some that were, that were pretty brutal. Uh, you know, you could, and my own fault for going to those message boards and reading, you know, it's like, I would have done the same exact thing. <laughs> I would have done. But, I would have. Every, I think everyone would have. If you can let yourself, like you were talking about ego earlier, you can let yourself get carried away, you know. So you just, uh, it just people have their opinions, and you got to take, you know, the the bad with the good. You can't just take the good. So it, it, sure. it just, you know, um, hopefully they don't still feel the, the same way they felt, but. Uh, uh, you know, I, and it's a good thing to have people that opinionated because that means they love your music so much. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of like a, a catch 22 of sorts. So. Sure. Yeah. If everyone's like, ah, we don't really give a shit, then that's then that's no good. <laughs> that's not good for sure. Yeah. Um, so what are what are the thoughts and what are the conversations that you guys are having internally in terms of uh, how how you're handling coronavirus and and what that looks like for you guys? Are you guys planning differently are you guys thinking you know other than your uh you know your show at, at citizens bank park mm-hmm. um are, are there thoughts of of trying different things or you know 
or I'm just interested to hear what others are what others are doing because because you guys I mean obviously you guys record albums but you're a touring band you're a live band right. you yeah, know definitely definitely and that's where um, that's where that's where you thrive and I'm and sure. that's where your that's where your revenue comes from so mm-hmm. for sure uh, but you know we are actually working on an album uh, we had started it right before you know those shows got canceled in March and so we went straight into the studio because we were all we were all there and you know hanging out figured may as well do something productive while we're here. Um, and so uh, Brownstein and I basically they laid down our, our parts um, and, and John and Aaron are working on, you know, their parts and then, you know, vocals next and stuff like that. So it, it'll be a while, but we are actually working on an album. Um, as far as live stuff, uh, there's nothing really concrete, you know, cause everything's so up in the air um, and it basically changes kind of, day by day um Mm -hmm. there's been talks of like uh, you know another live stream um and maybe a drive-in concerts or something but there's there's nothing really like firm you know um there's there's i think a live stream would happen before a a drive-in concert um so but yeah that's it you know we're, we're potentially a couple more live stream shows in the fall but uh nothing i haven't really heard anything about like touring per se uh there's hopes of like maybe some shows but nothing nothing right right yeah how does it how does it affect you personally when you're used to being on the road so much and i mean granted like it's not like it's been years since you guys have been on the road but you know you probably would have been you probably had a summer tour Oh yeah, we actually for the Disco Biscuits, we we had kind of slowed down a little bit as compared to like when I first joined the band. We I was it was hundred shows a year, average maybe hundred twenty, maybe ninety something in that ballpark. You know, for right. a few years that that's what we played, and then we slowed down for a little while, um, and we started doing this kind of like destination uh, instead of playing like a five week tour, we would do go and play four nights in the same place. And then the next month do the same thing in a different part of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and so that was cool. Uh, but then we had just, we had this year, you know, or last year, a whole bunch of new material and we were just actually getting ready. We had announced all these shows and we were, we were going to do like another 70 to 90 shows in 2020. And uh, yeah, that just kind of like everyone else, it just kind of, fell out from underneath us so yeah um we it was something it, 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 it was you know yeah we were it was so we were getting back out on the road you know it was going to be awesome and then we just, just have to put it off i guess until hopefully 2021 so yeah i think i mean not i think i know everyone's in that boat i wasn't yeah. sure I, and I'm, I'm always interested to hear how how people that are either how it's affecting them or what they're doing in the meantime, what they're doing with, with the downtime that they have. Are they, you know, are they, are they learning new skills? Are they shedding a lot? Are they, uh-huh. you know, some guys are setting up studios so that they right. can track, track drums remotely. Mm-hmm. Some people are writing a book. Some people are writing an album. Uh, yeah. Do you have anything, do you have anything in the works for that? Or are you just yeah. chilling out? Um, I am, I've been like uh, Brownstein actually right when touring stopped he and some friends of his created a, a website, LiveLessonMasters.com, uh, and uh, he invited all of his friends basically onto this website and made a platform for fans and musicians to go 
that, to take lessons or hang out with their favorite artists. And uh, so I started teaching drum lessons from my basement and, um, you know, through Zoom and stuff like that. And that was very cool because I had taught for so long before I was in the Disco Biscuits. I taught for like 10 or 15 years. Um, and then when I went when I joined the band, I, I pretty much I had a couple of students here and there, but I, I stopped teaching. And so to get to get back to that was 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 nice. And mm -hmm. it, it um, and then I have a I do it like kind of like my DJ side of things where I play drums and, and computer at the same time uh, called Dr. Famous. And so um, I, I've done a few a uh, handful of live streams here and there. So that was cool. You had said that, you know, uh, learn new skills. I was not familiar with live streaming and I was not familiar with, you know, video, doing a lot of video. Um, so I had to, I, I had to learn OBS. I had to learn uh, <laughs> iMovie. Um, and um, I, I'm now learning Twitch. Um, so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking of putting together a, a Twitch channel uh, I've been working. I'm not really thinking. I'm, I'm like gonna do it. I've been working on it for like a couple months. Uh, um, uh, Twitch. It, it. I didn't really. I'd heard about it, but I didn't really know about it until coronavirus. And mm -hmm. uh, my, my brother's a gamer, so you know he had been on there and he talked about it and stuff. But you know, I never really looked at it. Didn't know that there was a music side of it, and come, you know, was just shocked and pleasantly surprised when I found out there was a a, a, a large music part to twitch and mm -hmm. found found some drummers that i really really enjoy on there one's by the by the name of floop and then another one by the name of mr greggles but uh floop crushes it on there and uh he's, he's a very inspiring if you if you know if you don't know about him give him uh give him a listen check him out uh, uh he's definitely been inspiring to me for the past uh, month or so so um that's uh, that's what i have basically in, in the works i uh, i want to get a twitch channel off the ground and nice. just get get back to playing I, you know, it, it's, it's, it won't be playing for an audience in the room, but hopefully there'll be some people that'll come and watch and, and there'll be that, that connection of, right. the, you know, given received and, and I'll be able to, cause I definitely miss that. And it's one thing to practice down in the studio in your, in your basement. And obviously it's another thing to play for someone. So I'm really looking forward to, to doing that and have some sort of connection. So. I think I, you know, I always have this thought and uh, there's this quote in the back of my head. And actually, I think it was Mark that said it, uh, that he said, uh, the only way that you get better playing live is by doing it. Right. Yeah. And I, every, and I just, I like, I mean, I remember hearing him say that, like, I don't know, 15 years ago or 20, like, I, I don't know if I've read it somewhere. I don't remember, but I was just, I just always kept that in the back of my mind. Like you said, yeah, you can get in your basement and you can spend hours and hours and hours shedding, but if you want to get better at playing live and playing with people, then you got to play live and you got to play with people. You yeah, know, it's two different Sadly, things. It's hard now. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah. But you know, we'll see maybe soon. I don't, I don't know. Uh, maybe hopefully 2021. We'll, we'll be able to get back out there. So I'm hoping. You know the the interesting thing when you were saying about oh I I didn't I didn't really know much about the music side of Twitch and and learning OBX and learning learning iMovie and all these other things. On one side, it's pretty daunting of like understanding how much we don't know, right? And then, but uh -huh. the other side of it is super inspiring that you're like oh, there's yeah. so much stuff out yeah. there that I can still it's learn. Been so much fun, you know. It was definitely daunting, and I was like, man, how am I gonna do this? And how does the guy make his screen blink when people follow? Like it was all this stuff I didn't understand, but 
uh, it was definitely, it, it, I needed something, you know, I wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't on, wasn't doing shows. So, uh, it, it felt, it, it was, it was right in time and it was, it was so much fun learning it and the whole process. I'm sure my wife is ready to like throw my computer out of the, <laughs> out, out of the house. Cause all I've been doing is staring at it for the past you know, two months, but it, 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 you know, it, it'll, hopefully it'll something great will come of it so uh and twitch is i was sorry to interrupt you go ahead no that's cool i'm just looking forward to to giving it a try it's one you know it's it's i've played a couple live streams but they've been kind of private parties and it's just kind of like i've been doing my own thing it's it's not really like it's kind of like more of a concert for them but i afterwards i go and and like kind of call in like on on a zoom thing and we kind of chit chat a little bit and that's been cool to like gonna get a like a reception uh, response but during while i'm playing it's just kind of like i'm playing in a room my my studio to my computer screen and so this will be different you know hopefully there'll be some feedback and and stuff stuff, stuff like that and you made a really interesting point too about twitch is that they are they're really getting deep into the the music side of things they've signed some joint ventures with major record labels Uh uh i mean there's a there's there's a lot of stuff going on and i think that I'm, you know, for them, I think coronavirus helped. I, think I so. mean, they were already like exploding. Twitch was yeah, already huge. Yeah, you know, make sure. no mistake about it. But, but, uh, but with coronavirus, I think you know now everyone is just looking for different ways of operating, different outlets, mm-hmm. and things like that. So I would recommend anyone out there like check it out. There's a lot of music stuff on. So how do they? I know not. I literally, I should take my own advice because I know nothing about Twitch. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do they find you on there? How do they find? Well, I don't really. I have a channel, but I, I, it's not. It's just a channel. Like, there's nothing on it, and I haven't. Uh, it's not ready yet. It'll be ready. Oh, so you, it will be though. Yeah, but it's under my, uh, my like side project name, which is Doctor Famous, and that's the spelled D R F A M E, not an O. So F A M E U S D R F A M E U S, and it'll be under that Doctor Famous uh, Twitch, yes, dot TV slash Doctor Famous. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, and then you should check out. There's some. Uh, there's some really awesome drummers on Twitch. It's been a lot of fun learning because I had no idea these guys were there, and now all of a sudden I'm I'm like, it's it's the whole other world of drummers have been opened up to me. So there's some guys that are on Twitch that are just completely crushing the drums right now. So if you're not familiar, you should check it out. And the first one I would tell you to check out would be Floop, and that's spelled F L E W P. He's a great cool. seems. I don't know him or anything, but seems to be a great guy. He's got a great personality on stream. And then uh, while he's, he's, he's just being for three and a half hours, four hours straight, he's just crushing the drums. It's an, it's a, it's, it's great. To, it's very awesome to watch. I like it. I like it. And now you got me, you got me curious. I'm going to check it all out. Cool. <laughs> Next thing I'll, I'll be, I'll be live streaming the That's right. resource podcast soon. <laughs> I nice. should. Yeah, that we would be great, dude. Might, we might be onto something here. <laughs> Do, well, do you uh, do you put anything on YouTube? Uh, you know what I don't. What and the interesting thing is I do. You know I do a lot of these through Skype, and I have the video of a lot of them. I've just never. No, I, it's just been mainly a podcast. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you, you seem to be doing fine. How you've been doing? So, but yeah, yeah, maybe Twitch would be cool for you. But I, I think, think it would you're, be. you're doing great. <laughs> I think videos is compelling. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the drag is that then everyone has to look at me while they're watching. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, definitely. That's I don't want to make I don't want to make anyone I don't want to make anyone have to go through that. 
<laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> I have a great face for radio, Alan. That's why I do this. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd love to put a bag on my head if I could, but I there guess you that go. <laughs> Well, Alan, thank you, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. I'm I'm super excited about this Twitch thing too. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad to hear that you're you're exploring and you're figuring out new ways of interacting with your fans and creating new content and creating new music and all that stuff. I think that that is super exciting and inspiring. And you've got me, you've piqued my interest. So I'm going to get awesome. on to Twitch as well and start and start messing around with that. So you had mentioned drumline, teaching lessons and things like that, and that you weren't teaching lessons when you joined the, the Biscuits, but now you are teaching again? Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. What's the best way to for people to find you and connect with you and all that? Uh, the best way is actually through uh, LiveLessonMasters.com. And uh, I'm on there. They, that site actually has a – they have all sorts of uh, music, wellness, producing – writing art there's all cooking there's all sorts of stuff but uh in the music under the music there you'll find me um and uh i'm available on there and we do the drum lessons through zoom um and you know sign up for half an hour an hour or you know kind of almost whatever you want basically uh and uh, you can also find me uh i'm on uh instagram and it's just dr famous d-r-f-a-m-e-u-s and then there's a Facebook page for Dr. Famous, too. So if you're interested. <laughs> nice. And Twitch, will, very soon. And Twitch, and Twitch is coming soon. And I'll, and yeah. I'll link up to all that in awesome. the show notes to make sure that, uh, that everyone can find that. So cool. uh, other than that, man, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you taking the time to chat. And congratulations on everything that, that went down with the with the show at Citizens Bank Park, how much money you guys raised. Wow. I think that's amazing. Yeah, um, and also just thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat. And, and thank you for talking about like all these new things that are going on. It's really exciting to see that you're you know, checking out new things to do like Twitch and figuring out all that stuff. It just goes to show you that, that, you know, creativity is endless and there's so many things Mm -hmm. that we can do if Mm -hmm. you're willing to, to just kind of put in the work and try to figure those things out, man. So thank you for that. Cool. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, man. I mean, it was a real honor to be a part of your show. So this will be one of the experiences that I, I tell my, I'm definitely my daughter's two and a half and she already knows but i'll be reminding her about it and then i'll be telling my my grand my grandkids about it so i i can't thank you enough for having me on your show it's very cool of you to, to do that so thank you so much that means a lot thank you so much i appreciate you man i'll talk to you soon all right man thank you bye-bye yep. there you have it alan oakland from the disco biscuits you can check out the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 575 also if you haven't already sign up for the mailing list you can do that by going to drummersresource.com forward slash book b-o-o-k why is it book because if you sign up you're going to get a copy of my ebook stick control variations it's 11 creative exercises to help you with your speed your chops your independence all that fun stuff and also if you haven't already leave a rating leave a review you can do it on itunes it's easy it's cheap and it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy but more importantly it lets people know that this is a good podcast and lets them know that they should be listening to it so please do that and that's all i got so until the next episode keep drumming thank you so much for listening i'll be talking to you soon peace drummer's resource is produced by revoice media executive producer nick ruffini that's me 
edited by Justin Thomas, video editing by Tomas Shannon, and graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.